from the 22nd section of Psalm 119. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Let my, my lips will pour, pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. Okay, we are on Lord's Day 7 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which you will find in on page whatever. 31, thank you. Oh, I should have made this a responsive day. <laughs> 31. We are going to take a look at overall faith. And, we, and the catechism moves this way because the previous question that they asked, number 19, and again I would remind you, when this catechism was made, it was like your Bible. Your Bible did not have chapters and verses. It was one long manuscript or scroll, and you just started reading, and you went right all the way through. The only reason they put chapters and verses is because they printed Bibles, and it was easier, easier for the pastor to say, let's turn to Matthew chapter 20, verse 19, rather than hit the manuscript, hit the manuscript, hit the manuscript. Ah, there it is. Okay. We have changed it into 52 Lord's Days. So, like the Bible, you go back to a previous question to pick up the train of thought. And sometimes, when you get my age, the train has left the station. <laughs> okay. 19. From where do you know this? Well, what's he talking about? 18. Who now is that mediator who... In, one person is true God and also a true and righteous man. Where do you know this? Answer, from the Holy Gospel, which God himself first revealed in paradise, afterwards proclaimed by the holy patriarchs and prophets, and foreshadowed by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law, and finally fulfilled in his beloved Son. You see, we didn't spend much time two weeks ago on this question, but do you see what the writer of the catechism is saying? The gospel is not just the New Testament. The gospel goes all the way back to paradise. It was not a new invention of Jesus and the disciples. It is something that continues throughout all of the Old Testament. And then it is fulfilled it is expanded. It is shown in the New Testament. That's why when you're reading through the Bible a year, you just don't read the New Testament. You read the whole book. And you read through it because page after page you'll find the gospel if you ask for eyes to see where it's there. So, we find it in the New Testament. And question 20, are all men then saved by Christ as they have perished in Adam? No. Only those who by true faith are engrafted into him and receive all his benefits. Note the question says, okay, if this is a gospel, complete throughout all the ages, then who is saved? That's basically what it's asking. 
who will be saved? And the question comes down to being two atoms. You have the first Adam, the one in the Garden of Eden, paradise, who had everything going for him. He was perfect. He had no defects in himself. He was in a perfect environment. He walked with God every evening in the cool of the evening. He, he heard again and again what his, father, what his heavenly God said to him. He was indeed blessed in all of those things, and yet with everything going for him, he rebelled, disobeyed. Cosmic treason and the cosmos, the world, fell with him. Not only he and all of his generations after him, but the creation itself. So Paul reminds us, the creation groans waiting to hear and waiting to see its own salvation. Before Adam's fall, the lion could lay down with the lamb. That will not happen until Christ comes back and the fullness of our salvation is made. That's what happened. The whole world, the whole cosmos. And so whether you're in Pluto or the furthest galaxies, it's all drenched with sin. And therefore, you need a second Adam, who is the one who's going to rescue that. And the second Adam is the one who was in the garden called Gethsemane, who had everything going against him, but cried out to his God to give him assurance of what he was called to do and to give him the power to see him through it. It's a question of two Adams, a question of what's taking place. I will get this eventually. So, you are now down to the, the question is about faith. Because how do you grasp what took place? How do you become a member of God's kingdom? And the catechism is going to say it is by grace. Only by true faith in are engrafted into him and receive all his benefits. A true faith is necessary to receive what Christ has accomplished. Remember, faith is a blessing. It's not a right. None of us have the right to say, God, give me faith. Because he'll look at you and say, yeah, let me look up my book and see if you're on there. Okay? It's a blessing. It's not a right that we have. It's not something that we, in and of ourselves, can manufacture. Faith is the instrument, the means by which we grab hold of what Christ has done for us and of Christ himself. And it is a gift that has been given to us. John 1, 12 to 13, I think that's on your outline, yeah. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And that word receive is not the word of somebody reaching out and grabbing it. It's a word that means, first of all, you received it. Then you had the right to become a child of God.
And again, it says, not born not of blood, not because of a lineage, nor the will of flesh, nor of the will of man. You were not born again by your own will, but it's because of the will of God. You know how far that differs from modern evangelicalism? And it's all your choice. I think I've told you before, famous illustration, God has voted for you, devil has voted against you, you have the deciding vote. What? Well, if I had the deciding vote, you know how I'd vote? I'm a slave to Satan. I'm going after him. That's where I would vote every time. And unless something happens, it won't take place. Or that passage from Psalm 2, 10 to 12, and especially the verse that says, Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Kiss the son. What an image. What a, I mean, you, I have found this out in my life. It took me years. But if you're going to kiss somebody, you've got to get real close. <laughs> okay? You can't, I can't kiss Peg from, I can throw her a kiss and I probably would miss and it'd end up on the floor. <laughs> the, but you've got to get real close. And the other person has to be willing to be kissed. I've tried it the other way. It doesn't work. <laughs> just, just not, not since I met Peg, but <laughs> just doesn't work, okay? You've got to be close. You've got to be in relationship. You've got to both want to have this. That's a, that's a beauty of that kind of a word image. And the last and the third one of that, Hebrews 4. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Good news, the gospel, and he's talking about ancient Israel. The gospel came to the people of God. But the message they heard did not benefit. Why? Because they're not united by faith with those who did listen. Faith is the instrument that unites us together. Faith is the instrument that's absolutely necessary. Uh, we'll get this right. That's who will be saved. Then comes the phrase of that same question, to be engrafted. That means the result is to be placed in something or someone, not your own. Paul uses this illustration when he wants to talk in Romans 11 about the Jews being cut off and the Gentiles being engrafted into the tree of God. Uh, I'm not horticulturalist. I don't spend a lot of time doing that. But I know this. When you take a wild olive branch and you put it into a tamed olive branch, it's not the same but they can be engrafted. We learned this with our adopted children. We have four natural children. There are genes, they're just working with them. We, you know, we had them and all of a sudden 
we brought in three children who had no genetic background, nothing that was like us. And we realized, oh man, this is a new, whole new ball game. We gotta learn parenting all over. Parenting 101 adopted children. Well, imagine how God deals with us as his adopted children. We, are, we were not like him. He had to transform us. And then we began to fit in with his family. It took a long time, long opportunity. Kind of humbling. Think of yourself as not this great person that God had to have and bring me into his kingdom and put me into his tree. I mean, I was so magnificent. He could not dare not have me. And he says, you don't even belong here. What do you mean I don't belong? Oh, if it weren't for my grace, you, won't, you would not even be here. I had to engraft you by faith. When you grasp it, held on to. And to be grafted into the root... And again, what is the root? Root is one of those Old Testament images of God himself. He is the one who draws nourishment and gives it to the rest of the tree. We don't even draw our own nourishment. It's got to be given to us by the root and brought up to us. Boy, is that humbling. Man, I thought I was really doing well in this Christian life. Yeah, I read my Bible, I pray, I go to worship, I sing, I do all this and that and that. And if it weren't for the root, it would be nothing. It's our own efforts. Now, don't you feel about this big? Sin ought to make you feel about this big. Being engrafted ought to make you feel about this big. God ought to make you feel about this big. Okay? Because he's done it, not because you deserve it, but because it's his will, his wants. Then we go to the benefits. And I put the passages there for you to read and, and think about. Remember, part of the process is on Sunday morning, we go through the questions and the answer and the passages, and I add a little bit onto it. And for the rest of the week, you go back and review and review and review so that it becomes innate within you. It becomes part of who you are. These are a couple of passages you have to, because I don't have time. Well, unless I want to go all the way to about 11 or 12 o'clock, but then John gets upset at me. <laughs> no, he says, no, go ahead. I don't have preach this morning. <laughs> no. These two passages talk a little bit about our, the benefits. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption. Through his blood, that is through his sacrifice. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon him. The idea of lavish is when you fill a plate full of food, and then you fill the plate again with food, and then you fill the plate again with food, until you have more food than you can carry on that plate. God has lavished us with his grace. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. The word mystery, we think of, well, something that we don't know anything about. It's, mystery is more the idea that the key component was missing before. It's like an Agatha Christie novel or movie. 
it's not till you get to the very end where she shows you that one thing that she put in there that determines the whole thing. It's like Lieutenant Columbo who finds that one clue that opens up the whole case for him. That's what the mystery. All the Old Testament is like that until you see Christ. And then, oh man, why didn't I see that before? Why didn't I enjoy Leviticus 1 to 8 when it talked about sacrifices? Until you figure out they're talking about sacrifice of Christ. See, that's the mystery of his will. Uh, you go down to verse 13 and 14. You heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. A seal is something you put on to show its authenticity. Back a long time ago, they would take some... Uh, some wax and put it on and then the king would take his ring and throw, put it in the wax and as long as that ring was there and it wasn't broken you knew not only was it authentic but nobody else had seen what's in that letter the Holy Spirit is that ring that's pressed into the wax that seals you and once it's sealed nobody else but you can open it it's yours. That means that no one's tampered with it. It means that the Holy Spirit is the one who keeps you throughout your whole salvation. He's the guarantee. He's the deposit, the down payment. Like you do when you buy a car or you buy a house, you have to put money down. The, uh, and they say, okay, you put your money down. That's a sign to us that you are serious about buying this car or house. In fact, sometimes you can't get the money back, which makes it really serious. And you say, yes, I'm going to pay all the rest of what I owe on that car or house. Holy Spirit is a guarantee. Holy Spirit given to us makes it absolutely sure that what God began in us, he will bring to completion. That's part of the benefits. Or 1 Peter 3 talks about an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Monday I did a funeral of a man who lived 93 years. His wife had died last November. They had been married for 73 years. Wow, we're just trying to make it through 44. <laughs> That's not only a great witness, but part of the witness was they're going to a much better place. Undefiled, imperishable, unfading. That's kept for you by the power of God. That's the benefits. So you look through the word and you look through all the benefits that have been given to you. And again, to whom is faith given? Well, again, you have John 3, 16, 17. That famous verse that if I asked you to say it, you probably could. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul. No, that's not it. <laughs> no. 
For God so loved the world. And in your outline, I have in parentheses, cosmos. That's the Greek word. He so loved the universe. It doesn't say he so loved the world of people. He loved the universe. Why? Because the universe had been soiled and spoiled by sin. He loved the universe that he gave his only son that who, I love the King James here, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world, the cosmos, to condemn the cosmos, but in order that the cosmos might be saved through him. He's saving a world, a creation. And therefore, Marvin the Martian, who runs around with his little ray gun, if you're familiar with Warner Brothers cartoons, if, if you're not, go to Cartoon Channel. He, he needs salvation just as much as the person around the corner. Because they're all, well, he's a, he's a cartoon character. But if, if there was a Marvin the Martian... Any alien that would come here, if there are any, they need salvation through Christ just as much as you and I do. So tomorrow we're going to begin the cosmos conquest, where we're going to take the gospel to the furthest planet, Star Trek, <laughs> with a divine <laughs> imperative, not just to go where man has never been before. But to bring the gospel. <laughs> but that's the idea. That's what he's talking about here. That whoever, and it doesn't define whoever, and it doesn't mean that anybody can. Because later on, in his same gospel, he would say, he would write that Jesus said, no one can come to the Father unless he draws him. The Father has to draw the individual. And we think about that, oh, he takes somebody kicking and screaming and he pulls them into his kingdom. No, 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 no. The word draw means he compels. It's not like drawing water from a well, although in some ways it is. It means God compels him to come into his kingdom. He makes him come into his kingdom. So no longer is he kicking and screaming because he wants to. But before he was outside, he didn't care a whit about coming in when you really take a look at it. But now he can't do anything but run to the kingdom because God has drawn him, compelled him to come. So that's part of it. What is true faith? <clears throat> True faith. <laughs> when I grow up, I also have hair in my chin. <laughs> uh, what is true faith? And the, the answer is true faith is not only a sure knowledge whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in his word, but also a hearty trust, that is a firm confidence, which the Holy Spirit works in my heart by the gospel that not only to others, but to me also, forgiveness, that's remission of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation are freely given by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. I put in there, 
the Westminster Larger Catechism, What is Justifying Faith? Only to show you some of the difference between two catechisms, but it also helps us understand question 21. Justifying faith is a saving grace wrought in the heart of a sinner by the Spirit and Word of God, whereby he, being convinced of his sin and misery and of the disability in himself and all other creatures to recover him out of his lost condition, not only assents to the truth of the promise of the gospel, but receives and rests upon Christ and his righteousness, therein held forth for pardon of sin, for the accepting and accounting of his person righteous in the sight of God, our salvation. Now you know why we're doing the Heidelberg Catechism. It takes so long to read us, huh? But it is a concise statement. It's a beautiful, and it's packed, that Westminster Larger Catechism. It's packed with information. But back to the Heidelberg Catechism. What is true faith? It's a sure knowledge. Now, the Christian faith has a bare minimum that you have to know. There is something you have to learn. Something that has to be taught to you. And this is where the head comes in. To know, to have certain information. It's not, I just hope that Jesus died for me. Or it's not just, I think he may have died for me. It's a sure knowledge. It's a certainty that this occurred. And it's a certainty of what the gospel is. That's why the proclamation is so important. Because if you're proclaiming a wrong gospel, if you're proclaiming, pull yourself up by your bootsteps, believe and you will be regenerated. If that's what you're believing, that's the wrong gospel. And you need to have the true knowledge. And therefore, Christianity has always been a faith that demands our intellectual use and our study. That's one of the reasons why God has given to us a Bible in print. I mean, we of all generations are the most blessed of people. We have it not only in print, but you have it on your smartphone. You can buy Bible apps, or there are a lot of free ones now out there. You have a computer that has more books in it, or programs that has more books in it than I ever had when I was buying books by the boatload. And you can carry it around in your briefcase. And you can do quick, you can do more quickly studies than what it used to take me before the computer ever came around. And yet, it can sit on the coffee table on the desk unused. You can read the classics. You can read the great writers of the Christian faith. And you have to. That's why having a book library and having some of the books that are back there are terrific. One of them you ought to read, I think it's on the, um, the must-read list, is Today's Gospel. Terrific book. Um, and read it and just invest your time in it. Because it's part of how you know and how you grow how you only 
You can only grow as much as you know. And therefore, we don't sit up on a hill and go, hmm, give me the inf information. We have to do the work. Which says something about how we spend our time and what we do with our time. I love baseball. I could spend hours watching not only my favorite team, the Pittsburgh Pirates. What else do you expect? Come on, I'm Western PA. But I could watch game after game after game. But that wouldn't be productive. I could, I could see the Hobbit movie, all three of them, back to back to back. <sighs> but would that be productive? Yeah, if I ever get into a trivia game with a hobbit, I may be good at that. But that's not what's going to give eternal knowledge. It comes from this word, and not only the word itself, but the word with the illumination of the Spirit. The Spirit has to take these words and help you to see them and open them up. In some cases, it means a creative imagination. Now, you can go too far with creative imaginations. But put yourself into the whole situation. What was it like to be a disciple in a boat in a raging sea that even made a fisherman afraid? And back in the back is your rabbi sleeping. You know, what would that have felt like? That's part of the knowledge. That's part of working with it. And so you don't just read four verses a day with a nice little paragraph after it and say, I've done my study. Now, it is hard work. It is really hard work. Then there is a hearty trust. This is a deep-rooted assurance with, with uh, sureness and confidence and established in the root of life. Hearty trust, that's a heart. That is, it is the heart by which one trusts and embraces. And the one um, receives what the word has to say. You have to trust it. That means you have to rest upon it. Rest upon it alone. Lean upon it. You have to embrace it. That means make it your own. Bring it into who you are. To feel, to know what it is for you that I am one who is loved by the eternal God. I am one for whom Christ died. I am one who has had all my sins forgiven. Past, present, future. I am the one who has an imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for me. At that funeral Monday, that was one of the most important things that I said to those people. Think of what's waiting for you. The grave is simply a door to get into that eternity, that prize, that treasure. And it's for you in Christ. See, you got to make it personal. And that's part of it. Um, and you notice that the catechism does very well and putting the two together. It's not only knowledge. 
when I was in seminary, I did a lot of studying on Jonathan Edwards. And there was a man named Perry Miller, who was a professor in Yale University that had all of the Edwards volumes and all of his work. This guy knew Edwards better than anybody else. I mean, he was a world-class scholar on Edwards. Even my seminary professor who wrote a three-volume work on Edwards didn't know as much as Perry Miller. But Perry Miller didn't believe a thing that Edwards wrote. And he admitted it. He had it in his head, never in his heart. See, there are those in Christianity who have it in their head. And they can spout verses. But it's never reached this 12-inch, 9-inch difference between the head and the heart. The, the confession says that it's a sure knowledge and it's a hearty trust. You ever been to a banquet? Golden Corral? <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, you, you go and you watch people. I watch me. <laughs> they go up once. And they go up twice. And they go up third time. Then they go over to the chocolate parfait and you, they, they get their marshmallows and everything and they put it in. And they go up a second time, you see. That is a hearty meal. Well, a hearty uh, feeling confidence is exactly that way. You have your fill of confidence and of, and of hope. And the last, the other part that I will definitely get this someday. Two days before I die. It's worked in by the Holy Spirit. Not by us. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. What does this refer to? Go back to why you studied English in high school. You go back to the previous noun. And this refers to the faith. Sometimes people will say, well, it, it is, uh, has to do with our salvation. It has to do with grace. No. This faith is not your own doing. It's not something you work up. It's not something I gotta believe, 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 like the little engine that could. It is a gift of God. It's something He graciously gives to you, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. You know, if you were able by yourself to believe the good news and you came before God, what would you say? Well, thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Thank you for everything you said before. But remember, I'm the one who believed. <laughs> what a good boy I am. No, no. You can't boast about anything in the Christian life. Man, that's humbling. Just when we live in a culture of success and do it on your own and pull yourself up by the bootstraps and... And the scripture continues to remind us, no, no, it's all a gift of God, not a result of works, for we are his workmanship. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Why? 
For it is God who is at work in you to will and to do his good purpose. So everything you put into your Christian life is simply back from the root that is giving you what you need in order to put it together. Absolute dependence, sure confidence, sure trust in, in what God has done. Uh, faith has created us in the Holy Spirit, in our natural state. We, we would not, do not run to, to God or trust him. As rebellions, we see him as, or as rebels, we see him as our enemy. And we run from him, we have no desire for him. We are like Adam when he comes, God came into the garden at the regular time after he had sinned. And he goes, whoops, I got to hide from this omniscient, omnipresent person. What a silly thing to do. But that's what sinfulness does. We run away from God. That's the first Adam. Then we're back to the second Adam. Faith is a gift of God given by Christ through the Holy Spirit who is recreating, putting the Spirit within the person. There it is. God formed us from dust. He breathed into us the breath of life. God form, sees us in our dustiness and he breathes into us the spirit of life. So I've given you two passages, Ezekiel 36, where Ezekiel says a new covenant is one of being cleansed and of the spirit being put within you. Jesus picks this up with Nicodemus. He, say, you, you know, he says to him, you must be born again. Nicodemus, as we were told a week or two ago, a couple weeks ago, said, are you kidding me? Can I get back in my mother's womb? I'm six foot, 200 pounds. Am I going to fit in a mom? Maybe she was already dead by then. He says, no, 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 no. You must be born of water and of the spirit. And being born of the water is not simply having life. I mean, that's 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 a tautology. Yeah. I mean, you can't be born again if you weren't born in the first place. What he's talking about is he's picking up that New Covenant passage of Ezekiel 36 and saying, you have to be born by water. You have to be cleansed. And then you have to be born of the Spirit. And the Spirit has to do His work. The Spirit changes our basic nature uh, and to, from being rebellious to loving and obedience, which issues in trust. And then it is to me. It's personalized. I must believe. I must accept. I must know. I must do it. However, it's always in reaction. I think I shared this before. Um... Uh, and again, in our modern culture and in modern evangelicalism, people are aghast when somebody puts it this way. Regeneration. Leads to rebirth. Not rebirth. Whoop leads to regeneration. 
in our day and age, that's how it's usually presented. You must believe and therefore God will cause you to be born again. Without him doing his work, you wouldn't even want to believe. This is the way the Bible puts it. He first of all has to change you, transform you. And then, you don't run away, you run to him. And you embrace him. And you trust him. And you love him. Because of what you know he's done for you. And it's that hearty trust, confidence that you have. Because he's placed it within you. Again, you see, nothing but the Nothing to the cross I bring, simply to the cross I cling. We, we bring absolutely nothing. Uh, that's why you worship him, is it not? Yes. Um, and therefore, what have we been given? We've been given forgiveness. And we talked about this two weeks ago. Propitiation, that is to avert, avert the wrath of God. Expiation, that is to pay the price and take away the debt. And out of that comes reconciliation and repentance. There, those two are there, and that's, that's forgiveness. Everlasting righteousness. And again, it's not a righteousness of our own. It's, it's that phrase that you ought to burn into your mind. That's one of the things you know. It's an alien righteousness. It is a righteousness that comes from outside of you, imputed from Christ to you, put into the bank account of your life. You were debtors beyond all understanding and all ability to, to pay, and God takes the righteousness of Christ in his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and he puts it into your bank account, and all of a sudden now, you're not only to zero, you're a multi-billionaire. Bill Gates is envious of you because of how much you have in the treasure of God. That's the righteousness we have. In fact, the righteousness we will have in heaven is not really our own. It's, we'll just see it as what Christ gave, bought for us. And that leads to salvation. That is to be set free. Set free from three things that we are encapsulated or captured to. Satan, because if you're not a slave to God, you're a slave to Satan. Sin that so easily entangles us and the society that so easily molds us into its way of thinking. Right? Saw so, uh, uh, a news story about how our culture has been captured by these things. I mean, you see, Queen Elizabeth had her 92nd birthday. And she was going to her 92nd birthday. And you look at the crowds and you know what they're doing? They're not looking at the queen. They're looking at their phone taking pictures. You go to a concert. They're looking at the screen, not the person. We have to have these with us. I watch people walk around our neighborhood, and this is the way they walk. And they miss the roses and the tulips and the violets and the beauty of what's going on around them. 
and we are captured by these things. Part of being unculturated is to be free from cell phones and from Facebook and from things like that. Well, now that you're all angry at me, because that's, that's your means of communication, right? But then they also tell you that because we, we have so many friends on Facebook, we think we have friends until we get into trouble. And then we don't have any friends. Because a person in California is not coming over here to Dayton for any reason whatsoever, but least of all to help me here. Okay? That's what you've been forgiven. And you all recognize that this comes from Christ merits his work. Again, Westminster Larger Catechism, the final two lines, faith is an instrument by which he receives and applies Christ in his righteousness. True, Christ, true, true Christian faith is the power of God's eternal life assigned by the Father on the basis of what the Son accomplished as applied by the Holy Spirit. It is Trinitarian through and through. It's what I call the three A's. It is assigned because it's been accomplished and then applied by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There you are. And the true Christian life is one that demonstrates and is a product of God's actions, not only now, but forever. And being true to the Heidelberg Catechism as it was originally made, we're going to stop there and we'll pick up on question 22 when I get back to teaching in about three years. No, no, it won't be that long. In, uh, actually, it's going to be two weeks. Peg and I get to go celebrate her mom's 90th birthday. And I love my mother-in-law. I never make mother-in-law jokes. You know why? Because one Sunday, we were in church. Levens were on this side. The Gerhards were on this side. And she got up and put, turned Peg around and said, Go talk with Andy. You've got to talk with Andy. <laughs> and since then, it's been a roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> Since then, it's been bliss. So I never, never complain about my mother-in-law. Let's, let's pray. Father, once again, we are awed by the extent to which you will go to give to us what we do not deserve. We are in awe of all that you have done for us and continue to do for us. And Father... We grasp it by faith. It's the instrument by which we begin to understand it. And we begin to hold on to it. A, a knowledge of what you have done. A, a trusting, a hearty trust. Confidence that has been done for us. Father, if there's somebody here this morning who is not that way. Who is still trusting on his or her own works or own life, own abilities just trusting that because they're alive, you're going to forgive them. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and convict of sin, convert and convince that it is only through Christ, grabbed hold of by faith,
that they have any hope of eternal life. And in all of us, O Lord, let us never lose it. Cement this teaching into our hearts by your Spirit that it may be not only with us forever, but it may also, that which is from you, guide us in our life as well. That we may praise and worship you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said...